The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Michael Graff Show. Hello. How come I rich and you not? How come you not sell real estate like I do? How come I sleep with your wife while you at work and then I pee in your toilet and don't flush? And sometimes I open the back part and I pee in there so that when you flush, pee come out. You know why? Because I'm smart. I'm smart, you stupid. Michael Graff. We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. Okay, okay, let's try to watch the language. There's children present, yeah? That's right. One in ten support D's nuts for president. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Hey, that's just a regular unattractive guy who's not famous. Michael Groff. If it's a legitimate rape, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. And you're an idiot. Ah! At the tone, the time will be 26 Railroad. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, that's what gay is? Oh, yeah, I could totally get into that. The following program is in the hands of a guy whose professional and personal lives are about as depressing as the idea of Donald Trump with access to the nuclear codes. From his exile in the urban desert, it's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. This is almost becoming a regular thing. I don't know what to make of it. All right, well, here we are. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Saturday? What? Yes, it's Saturday, the 21st of July, 2018. Welcome in. Thank you so much for checking us out. Contact information for the program, groffshow at gmail.com. That is the email address, groffshow at gmail.com. That's also our PayPal address for your most generous contributions to this program. Please uh, do feel free to do that. Once again, groffshow at gmail.com. Uh, Michael Groff over on Twitter, The Michael Groff Show on Facebook, and for everything else Michael Groff related... Well, you can go to michaelgroff.com. While you're there, you can listen to all of our previous editions of this program. I would also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or the Google Play app or store or whatever, because that really helps us out a lot as well. So that's uh, all the fun stuff that can happen via this program. Please be sure to help us out. Thank you so much. So, my intention when doing the show the other day was to do a fairly light on the politics kind of program because people get overwhelmed by it. I mean, it's the 24-7 news cycle. You can't escape it. Ubiquitous part of the culture. You know all that. And I, I think what happens is there are some people that just, they don't mind when we talk about it. In fact, they kind of like that stuff. They are interested in hearing different perspectives. For some people, it's too negative. It's just too much. Um, and I'm, I'm with you on that. There are times I don't want to talk about it, but there's things that are important that need to be addressed. And I, I think that uh, the way the world is right now, um, I, I think I would be doing a disservice if I didn't at least bring some stuff to your attention. But with all of that having been said, today's show, we're going real light on the politics because, well, because I want to. I mean, that's it's enough already. So I'm going to call this the 96% Trump-free show. I say 96% because later on in the program, I'm going to have to read a listener email, perhaps, and a comment that someone left on the website. So we could tangentially go off in a direction. Just going to give you that pre-warning right now. But other than that, uh, just a couple of dumb political stories that are not Trump-related. They're just related to politicians doing dumb politician things. And uh, our usual 
cavalcade of madness that we do on this program on, uh, well, on the semi-regular basis that we do this show, which is a perfect transition into what I really want to talk about to open up today. And it's something that I have danced around. It's something that I've teased that I was going to talk about. It's something that I have wanted to talk about for a while. And so this is the perfect opportunity to do it. It's the 800-pound gorilla that's in the room. And right away, I know, I'll just step in front of this one. No, I'm not talking about myself. Yes, I need to lose weight. Actually, I am talking about myself here. Because it's related to me. It's related to this show. And it's related to all the questions that I receive from people saying, what the hell's going on? Why all the hiatuses? Where have you been? So... Uh, Let me try and break that down for you, okay? And I know this is going to be a fairly long explanation. I'll do my best to be concise, but you know how I am, all right? So first, some basic background. From the time I was a kid, I wanted to be a broadcaster on TV, on radio, whatever. Well, of course, nature, genetics, they all took their course, so... I have a face for radio. I don't know where that came from. My parents were fairly good-looking people. My grandfather, good-looking guy. You know, I don't know how it skipped me, but it did, okay? So the course was set for me to go on to radio. And I also wanted to be a meteorologist. So that was those are my two things. But radio and broadcasting was always my biggest calling. And people noticed that I have hundreds of cassettes. I did shows from the time I was five years old. Up into my teen years. I mean, I'm not saying they're any good. I'm not saying the thing I do now is any good. But, you know, that was my passion. When I turned 18, I saw one of those vocational counselors who asked me what it is I wanted to do with my life. More specifically, what kind of career I wanted to have. So, of course, I told her, meteorologist, but most importantly, radio personality. Talk show host, morning show, whatever. I wanted to be on the radio. So she proceeds to interview me for about 20 plus minutes or so. And then afterwards, this is kind of the defining moment. This is why I am who I am today, for better or worse. This is one of those things that just changes you. Her name was Pam O'Brien. And I can still see every wrinkle on her face. I can still see her thick glasses staring me down as she puts her papers down, looks right into my face and says, you know, I'm going to be blunt with you. I can tell just by talking to you that you don't have the personality that it takes to be successful on the radio. You don't carry yourself in such a way that would allow you to succeed in that medium. And you're very smart. Don't get me wrong. You're a very smart kid. And you could be a meteorologist, even though there aren't that many open positions in that field. But you could do that. But radio, not in the cards for you. And I just sat back and I I, I couldn't believe it. Every single word that she said to me was like a punch in the face. And I said, well, I disagree. Just because I'm not outgoing and and totally open here in this kind of office environment like this doesn't mean that I don't have the personality that it takes. Now, keep in mind, when I was 18, yeah, I was a little bit less open than I am now. I was a little bit less outgoing. You know, I didn't necessarily have the same personality, although I, you know, there was roots of that there. People would say that to me frequently. Oh, man, you should be on the radio. Of course, they said that because I was an ugly guy with a decent voice. That's why they said you should be on the radio. Nobody wants to see you, kid. Just go hide in a studio someplace and talk into a microphone. We want to hear you. We just don't want to see you. She didn't even say that. She said, no, nobody wants to see or hear you. They just want to read a forecast that maybe you write one day or maybe hear you talk about uh, forecast models. That's about it, kid. When I stepped out of that office that morning, I was (laughs) not surprisingly pretty shell-shocked by the whole thing. 
And I was one of those people that took what authority figures said very seriously, even if I shouldn't have. And throughout my teenage years, people used to tell me, oh, my God, Mike, you're so much better than X, Y, and Z that's on the radio. So I figured I would go into this office. They would help me find a job. I was going to be in. It was going to be good. And it turns out that this woman, Pam O'Brien, got out her big hammer and crushed my dream right in front of me. Of course, I can laugh at it now, but I was, I was devastated by this at the time because I had so many driving forces that just kept me wanting to do this. And I had a few people that I even idolized in the radio business that just really helped me gravitate toward all of this. And probably my biggest influence was a person, I don't think I've ever even talked about this guy on the air before, but it, unless you were a talk show junkie in the late 80s or 90s here in Phoenix, you're not going to know who this guy is, but his name was Duke Sherlaw. He was an overnight host and a fill-in host on one of the local talk stations. Probably the coolest guy I ever knew in radio. Very real person, both on and off the air. My family kind of knew the guy too. I would say that he even helped to mold my political ideologies in my teens and 20s. So, and obviously he gave me a lot of good advice about radio. One of the things that he told me, and this is a good life lesson too, really. And he just said, just be yourself. Don't pander. Don't try to be something that you're not. And for the love of God, if you're going to be on the radio, don't talk like this. Don't do the puking. 75% of the business at the time did that. I mean, you turn on the radio and you'd hear people talking like this all the time. Hey, everybody. There were, there were talk show hosts that, I mean, one of the guys that he worked with at KFYI back at the time was Tom Likas, who used to talk. I mean, Tom Likas is the most infamous puker of all time. He still does his podcast talking like that. It's the Tom Likas show. That was just <laughs> unbelievable. So, yeah, so that was the advice that he gave me. And uh, I... I don't know. I guess I idolized a few other people on the radio through the years, but I, I learned not to do that after a while because you'll always be disappointed if you keep idolizing people. There's just, especially in radio, you will be disappointed by them because you're going to find out that a lot of them are jackasses. Now, Duke Sherlaw was a great guy. He left the air in 1997. Uh, maybe if he would have stayed on the air, he might have changed too, and he might have become something that I didn't like after a while, or he may have done something that was... Um, not uh, not good. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, obviously, I was soul crushed when I found out that the guy died in 2002. It was just like gut-wrenching. That was my influence. That was my biggest influence. And again, other guys, you know, I used to listen to Howard Stern and Phil Hendry, and I always thought that they were very innovative in the business. But of course, Howard Stern turned out to be a guy now that does a show like once every five days or something. And um you know, his show is a, a shell of its former self. It's not only is it not even edgy, it's just, it's like, I don't, I don't even know what happened to that show. It's weird. He does like two hour segments on adopting cats now, which is fine, I guess. But when you used to be so edgy and so like out there and, and cool and interesting it, to turn into that because of the people that you've surrounded yourself with. Uh, that's pretty depressing. I mean, that's another topic for another day, but I hope I never become that. So circling back around to where we were at, I'm a fairly stubborn person, even now. But back then, I was really stubborn. Yes, spoiler alert, I know. And I wasn't going to let this vocational counselor, Pam O'Brien, I wasn't going to let that bitch tell me that I couldn't be on the radio. And yes, I'm going to call her a bitch because anybody that wants to smash a teenager's dream like that, to me, is a bitch. 
I don't have a lot of hatred in my heart. I don't let hate take up a lot of real estate in my brain. Just don't have any room for it. However, there are two people that I just have a loathsome revulsion for, and that is one of them. And so I, my entire, <laughs> my entire life, I was going to devote to making sure that I proved her wrong. I love proving people wrong. So almost immediately when I went home, I started sending out what we used to call in the business T&Rs, tapes and resumes. Although really most of the time it was CDs and resumes or MP3s and resumes. Anyway, I was sending out my package material from the time I was in college through my 20s. I probably over the years have sent out, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000 various packages and emails and stuff to various stations applying for jobs in the radio biz. And... Um, you know, of course, I wasn't hearing back from a lot of these guys. So I went out and started doing voiceover stuff. My first voiceover gig, um, I was 21 years old and I was doing a documentary and they approached me and said, well, now we don't have the biggest budget possible. And I was like, oh, well, whatever. I'll take whatever you give. They're like, well, I'm sorry. We don't have a whole lot. How about we pay you $100 an hour? I know that's kind of low, but I was like $100 an hour. <laughs> what so i said oh, yeah i i guess i can uh <clears throat> i guess i'll uh i guess i'll lower my standards okay okay a hundred dollars an hour fine i was really happy about that i mean i was elated and i was like see i knew i could do this but i but i wanted to do radio you know i wanted to do broadcasting so i started fiddling around on the internet you know in the late 90s i started doing that and then I launched my internet station full-time on, uh, well, we're coming up on the 18-year anniversary of that, 724 of 2000, I launched my 24-7 internet station, so, and that was uh, KMGX, and then I was doing talk shows off and on, but then I really started doing a nightly show, the anniversary of that, September 20th of 2000, I started doing the show that many of you know of now, and so, and I did that every night. Well, every weeknight. Now, at first, it was just kind of a fun thing that I was doing, a hobby, if you will. And when I started out doing internet radio, 1999 and 2000, there was hardly anybody else doing this stuff. I mean, on Shoutcast, there might have been 100 stations. And so I was kind of in on the ground floor of that. But I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that from a business standpoint. I was like, hey, I'm just going to do this because this is fun. And I think the future is in the internet. But I mean, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I was kind of playing around. I really thought, hey, I'm going to have the commercial radio gig, so this will just be a fun f side thing, you know. But then I started networking with other people and getting my show played on other internet stations and uh, playing their shows on mine. And, you know, I made some friendships out of it, and it was cool. But it still wasn't like a business thing per se for me. Then, um, as time went on, as the years went on, and the commercial stuff, yeah, I was doing some commercial voiceovers and uh, I had some voiceover gigs and whatnot, but I, I really wasn't in commercial radio per se. I was not in terrestrial radio. I just, I had interviews all across the country. I went to, you know, Jacksonville, Florida and Huntsville, Alabama, Las Vegas, LA, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And here in Phoenix, I had my share of interviews, but I just never got any jobs. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I know why sometimes. I mean, they just told me flat out, we're not going to hire a blind guy. I mean, that's that's what they told me. It's illegal as hell, but there's nothing you can do about it. I could name names, but why bother? Uh, at least not with that. So I just said, fine, screw it. I'm just going to keep doing this internet thing for a while. 
And so I did. And then I started networking with other people. And I, I joined up with the Club 977 guys back in 2006, 2005, 2006. And um, then it started to get a little bit weird. You know, uh, radio started to get kind of political. At least internet radio started to get kind of political. Uh, and there was a lot of drama involved. And then... Um, the co-CEO of the company that we had, the co-CEO of Club 977, a guy named Jeff Bachmeyer, decided to uh, engage in a hostile takeover of the network of stations that we were running. And I was programming probably three or four stations there and voicing and doing all the imaging for all the other stations, plus my nighttime show, plus my own station. So I was doing a lot of work and you know, I was getting money, but not not as much as promised, of course. Um and I'm telling you all this because it's just background for what's coming, okay? So then uh, he engaged in, in a hostile takeover of the network. We were all booted out. Uh, I was owed several thousand dollars. The other CEO was owed like twenty five dollars or $30,000. And so I thought, well, this could be the end of all this. So whatever. But I, I was going to keep doing my own show and my own thing. But I guess this was it. And then the other guy decided to start doing another network of stations. So he invited me in. So I was in there. Uh, bottom line to that is I didn't get paid. <laughs> you know, they, I was promised a lot and given very little. And then they tried to control my station and tell me what I could play and what I could do and what I couldn't. And I said, nah, I'm not really interested in that. I'm a no drama guy. I don't, you know, I, I'm doing this because I want to do it. I don't need to do it. I don't need your money. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like it, I want it, but I don't absolutely have to have it. So you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. I'm out. So in late 2009, early 2010, I stopped doing the streaming biz. I stopped doing the nightly live talk show because I didn't have a station to play it on anymore. Um, I just said, I'm out, I'm done. So I started doing these podcasts instead. That was when the podcast era of this program began. It was late in 2009. Now about that time, I started to have sort of an epiphany and it took many years for that to blow up into the full-blown revelation that I know now but I started to realize that my career in terrestrial radio probably wasn't going to really be going anywhere uh, not just because I'm legally blind although that's certainly part of it and I, I started to figure you know what it's not really about talent anymore is it it's not you know it used to be back in the 80s and 90s you know to get on the radio it was it was really about talent because and they'd, they'd put anybody on that had a good point of view. And, a, and as long as you had talent, as long as you had an ability to carry a conversation or carry on a, a monologue or a dialogue, you were good on the radio. Well, you know, media has changed. And to be successful in any medium, whether it's TV, radio, selling books, what I realized is in order to do that, you have to be an extremist, either on the left or the right, or you have to fill a niche of some kind, like the Alex Jones conspiratorialist crazy-ass niche, or the uh, the late Art Bell or George Norrie, the conspiracy show, you know, the coast-to-coast -coast AM, that niche. But you have to have some kind of gimmick or some kind of niche, or you have to be a crazy left or right-winger that yells and screams and, and, and is a shill, basically, for their side in order to be successful on radio. Because, think about this, and this took a long time for me to realize because I was very blinded, no pun intended, by my love of the medium so much that I couldn't see this. But I asked myself, 
How many nationally or regionally syndicated talk show hosts are there that do the kind of show that I do? How many of them that you know of that are, are moderate? And I'm not talking about, you know, you might say, oh, my God, Mike, you, you're, you're a guy with strong opinions and sometimes you yell about stuff. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Not so much these days. But I'm not talking about strong opinions. I'm talking about radical left, radical right, niche, conspiracy theory, whatever, that kind of radio. How many guys do you know of that do shows that are like mine, that are just, you know, a little bit of the left, a little bit of the right, uh, you know, and, and the opinions that we have here are not these... I mean, it's not to say that I never have an extremist point of view on anything. I certainly have. I certainly do. But for the most part, how many shows like mine are there on the radio? And the answer is there aren't any. There's none. There's nobody that does a show like this. And I'm not saying my show is great. I'm not saying that my show is is uh, something that's going to uh, amaze the general public. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm saying my show is not like any that are successful. Unless I, I suddenly develop a flair to get on the air and, and shill for the Republicans or the Democrats or I start talking about UFOs or conspiracies or globalists or that 9-11 was an inside job or something like that, I am never going to be successful in the radio business. I'm just not. Uh, those, that's the kind of podcast or that's the kind of show that is successful. In the podcast era, there aren't even that many successful podcasts aside from people that used to be on the radio. I mean, you got guys like Adam Carolla, who is hugely successful because he built a base. He was big, he was a big deal in terrestrial radio. That's why he's successful. Joe Rogan was, I mean, he was on TV all the time. So he's successful and he does a great show. And those are, those are great podcasts. Those are great shows. But um, for the most part, it's really tough for uh, a regular guy like myself who, you know, I mean, yeah, I've got some commercial voiceover work, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not famous by any means. I was never big on radio or TV and I'm not an extremist. I mean, how does a regular guy ever become super successful in this business? And once I started having all of these thoughts a few years ago, that's when I started doing fewer and fewer shows. And that's when I started to get really down on this whole idea and I said, why am I even doing this anymore? And now, don't get me wrong. I, I want to make sure that I make this very clear so that people don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I am humbled and honored by those of you that take the time to listen to this show. I have been so grateful whenever people send feedback, even if it's hate-filled feedback or even if it's just saying I suck or even if it's just constructive criticism or, or it's love or whatever it is. I love it. I am so grateful to you for taking the time to listen. And those of you that have donated to this show over the years and continue to do so, I have to tell you this. I don't even know if I should be. I don't know why I'm admitting to all this, but I'll tell you, when I get donations from people, I get a little bit emotional about it. I get a tiny bit choked up by, by donations. I do because... I just think I can't believe that my dopey, stupid show has touched somebody in such a way that they feel that they should donate to me. And I'm I'm grateful. I'm glad. And when someone writes me uh, an email or posts a message saying, oh, my God, I listened to you and your show got me through these tough times that I went through in my 20s or uh, after my divorce or you know, I was just about to hang myself and then I listened to your show and I've, I've, I've finally found somebody that's more miserable than I am. Thank God for you. You know, that's anything, anything that I can do to help you. Uh, I'm glad that I can do that. And so that's part of the reason why I continue to do this show. That and of course, 
every time I've ever thought about quitting, the image of that old, that old bag's face, Pam O'Brien's face comes into my head telling me that I, I won't ever amount to anything. And listen, she's partially right. I mean, I have to unfortunately agree. Uh, I have not had the success that I wanted. Um, you know, I've made some money out of it and I've done some things and I still have this show and stuff. But and, and I could I could wallpaper this wall right over here to my right with all the rejection letters I've gotten. But every time I think of her telling me that I would never amount to anything here and that I wouldn't, you know, I, and that I was going to give up too, you know, uh, I keep going. And here I am. So I'm still doing this and I'm not going to stop. So can't stop, won't stop. So there you have it. I'm here still doing this show. And that is my motivation. And that's why I continue to do this. And I'm sorry that that's a long-winded explanation that I gave you for all this and why the shows were infrequent because I did get down for a while. And I did say, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. And you know what? Then I just said, screw it. Screw it. I'm just going to keep going on this. And if you, if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. There may be a day where I finally just say, I've had enough. And that's it. And the ride's over. But I don't know. I, I it's The show is kind of therapeutic for me as well. So you should probably expect to hear it at least a little bit more often. I will tell you this. There is no way I'm ever going to be able to do a show five days a week. Not the way that I do this show right now anyway. There is no way that I'm going to be able to go back to doing five shows a week. Um, because... And this is the other problem that I've had with the show over the years. I guess this is another problem that I've encountered is that it takes a long time to do these podcasts. It's not like the live show where I, I did a, a couple of hours of prep before the show. You know, maybe I started, uh, I used to do my live show at like five o'clock here, local time. Okay. So maybe about two in the afternoon, I sat down, I started to do some prep for the show. I had some usual features that I included, but really the show was about an hour long usually. Sometimes I do two hours, but, you know, it was an hour or two hours and there were music breaks and stuff like that. And I, um, I kind of got into a regular routine and it was pretty easy to do. It was, it was do the show, finish the show, you know, uh, save the show's recording. And then I was done. This is, I do more prep than I used to do because I think I take the show a little bit more seriously maybe than I used to. Uh, plus because I do the show a little less frequently, there's more stuff to talk about. So there's a lot more prep that's involved. There's probably four hours of prep that goes into this show. Then there's recording the show. And since it's a podcast, I kind of have the luxury of going back and re-recording -re something or changing something, which is a bad idea because I'm a perfectionist. The recording part of the show, which would normally take however long the show is, actually takes almost double that amount of time because I am a perfectionist. I go back and edit things and change things and whatnot. I'm trying my best not to do that here, though. But anyway, there's that. So there's the three hours of recording and then there's the post-production stuff and then posting all the stuff to the website. And that takes a couple of hours. So, you know, you're looking at eight, nine, ten hours to produce a show. And if I have any technical issues with the website or whatever, then that takes extra time because this is a one man operation. I have a little bit of help once in a while with website stuff. But for the most part, what you're looking at here is a one man operation. Other shows, even other podcasts, have multiple people working on them. They have a web person, they have the production person or an engineer or something like that, and then the, the host just comes in and hosts. Maybe they do some prep and they, they host and that's it, and they're done. That's not the case here. I, I do everything. I clean up the place after I'm done. I mean, this is uh, there's a lot of work that goes into producing podcasts, and that's why it's probably not 
logistically possible for me to do a show five days a week. Now, let me just talk about the video cast real quick because people have asked about that. I kind of did an experiment where I wanted to present to you the video version of this show, but that's more work. Understand that then I'm also recording a video, I'm editing the video, and I want it to be interesting. I don't, I don't just want it to be a video of me talking into the microphone for 80 or 90 minutes because I don't know, I don't know how interesting that really is. Maybe you guys just like that. Maybe you don't need all the extra graphics and the extra stuff that I tried to put up on there. Maybe you do and maybe you don't, but even if, even if I just did a no-frills version, just a, a very basic video podcast or a video cast along with this show that I post over to YouTube, even if I did that, that is still another hour that I'm tacking on probably to the workload here. So now you're, you know, now your 8 to 10 hours is like 9 to 11 hours. Then, um, and it's probably even more than that, technically speaking. Then the other problem with the video cast is because it's posted to YouTube and I play music on this show from the intro to the bumper music that we use, even the stuff that we do for our various segments, uh, like the Who Gives a Fuck segment, how we have the all that music in the background like this. Well, when you do this, then YouTube has some sort of algorithm that's either able to detect it or they have people that go around and, and notice that you're playing music and report it. And so then you get flagged for copyright on there. Now, it doesn't mean that it, they don't take down your video. What they just do is they make it so you can't monetize it. So with all the extra work that goes into the video, I can't even monetize or make any money off of it. So it's kind of like, why the hell do that? It's just a lot of extra work. And, you know, I mean, how many how many people are realistically watching that? I'll still do the videos for like the end of the year countdown stuff where we do the uh, the 20 worst songs of the year or something. And from time to time, I'll still do a special video here and there. But I think unless unless you guys just overwhelmingly tell me, Mike, please, for the love of God, do a video cast or if I can get some some monetary compensation for it in some way, I just it's just too much to put it up there. Again, if everybody said to me, my God, please, Mike, please, for the love of God, put up a video cast version, then I guess I would do it, you know. But other than that, if I could figure out a logistical way to do it live, do a live video cast where you can just watch me do this. I mean, I guess I could theoretically do that. That's a possibility. But um, so that's why the video cast isn't there. So people that have been asking about that. So I I know this has been a long explanation. You know, we have taken 20 something minutes to break all this down. But I, I wanted to really give you a full background, a full explanation, just so you guys have some context on where I'm coming from on all this. And yes, there's going to be more shows. Yes, we're going to have them more frequently. The hiatuses will be limited. Um, you know, so it's probably what we're doing right now. This is the second show I've done this week. Next week, I'll probably do two. I might even try for three. Uh, but I can realistically promise you one to two shows a week. And uh, beyond that, maybe, maybe three. Uh, we'll see how far I can push it. All right. If I could find a way to streamline this process, if I had a little bit more help doing this, I, I might be able to do five again. But, you know, um, unless somebody is willing to be a producer and somebody is willing to do the web stuff and somebody is <laughs> somebody's willing to do some of the extra heavy lifting around here i think we're going to be in a in a one to three shows a week kind of situation until further notice so i wanted to give you all the heads up on that
Plus, hey, we're talking about something else. We're just talking about this show, and it's just a fun thing, and it's story time on the show, which for me right now is infinitely preferable to doing the political talk. Although I'm sure there are some of you out there right now that are going, oh my God, Mike, please just just talk about Trump or go ahead and talk about all the people that died on that boat, okay? I don't want to hear any more of this crap. All right, fine. We'll take a break. Come back and we'll get into all the news and all the heavy stuff and just everything that's going on. Not the Trump stuff, though. We're 96% Trump-free on the show today, all right? Uh, we'll be back. You're listening to the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com It's been one year already since Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park died. So there's obviously a theme going to the bumpers today. Chester Bennington's, uh, the anniversary of his death was actually yesterday, Friday. And then Chris Cornell's birthday. He would have been the ripe old age of 54 yesterday. So that's why uh, the bumpers and the music on the show today will be Centered around uh, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, and Lincoln Park. So, anyway. Other sad news to talk about uh, over the last couple of days. Of course, that, man, that uh, boat capsized in Missouri. That story is almost impossible to believe. It's just so crazy. Four more bodies were pulled from the water uh, where a duck boat capsized on Thursday night, bringing the total death toll to 17. All the victims were on board the ride. Duck's amphibious vessel when a powerful storm rolled over the lake, lashing the water with 60 mile per hour winds at around 7 p.m. 14 people survived, including the ship's captain. Seven people were hospitalized with injuries. Those who died range in age from 1 to 70. Search and rescue teams pulled the last bodies from the lake. Uh, they continue their recovery efforts. The first 11 bodies were found on Thursday night. Six more were pulled the next day. The lake, which is 229 feet deep and is total area of around 43,000 acres, was partially reopened to the public Friday morning. Who would want to go there? I'm just going to go on back down to the lake, do some fishing, go on down to that lake where them dead bodies are. No big deal. Like, who would go down there? Uh, the other question I have about this story, it's and it's a weird one, is there was there were storms in the forecast all day across much of the Midwest. Why would you go out on a boat? Why would you uh, set up one of your tours or one of your uh, ex excursions to go out on a lake knowing that storms are coming? 
That seems very strange. Obviously, there's going to be some investigation into what happened here. Uh, this is just another reason, by the way, why I don't get on boats. Anybody that knows, uh, yes, I am just compiling this on my list of reasons. I don't do small boats. I don't do big boats. I don't get on cruises. You're never going to get me on a cruise. I don't care who you are. I don't care what enticement you might have for me. Uh, I am not going to do that. Oh, my. Come on. You don't even feel people always say you don't even feel the boat moving on a cruise ship. You don't even feel it. You don't even know. My dad told me, though, oh, that's a bunch of bull crap. Uh, I was in the service. So we went on giant boats overseas. You feel it. You feel every bit of it. So that was enough for me. You know, I'm not going on one of those. Because I would be the guy, that, or I would be on one of those like Costa Concordia deals that runs into some rocks and the ship uh, partially sinks or totally sinks or flips or rolls or something would happen. Some I would be on the one ship that encounters the disaster. I would get on the Titanic. You know, that's what would happen to me. That's my luck with boats. So no thanks. I The last time I was, and by the way, all of my boating memories are bad. Like in 1987, I was on a boat out on Roosevelt Lake here in Arizona. And um, I don't know, we were out there as this thing and friends of our family decided they were going to, I was like holding on to the, you know, doing like water skiing or whatever. They decided to go like 40 miles an hour and I got dragged underneath the lake under the water. I must have inhaled half of Roosevelt Lake. So that was bad. And then the last time I was on a boat was in 2002 and that was to put my dad's ashes into a lake that he wanted to have that done. So that was his final wish. So yes, for if that is someone's death wish, if that's like your final wish is to get me to go out on a boat, that'll be about the only way to do it. And you'd better be someone that I really care about in order for me to break this edict to not go on a boat. More weather-related news. Did you see these tornadoes that touched down near the Des Moines area? I have a couple of friends in Des Moines. Crazy pictures coming out of there over the last couple of days of some of the storm damage. Uh, including to the Marshall County Courthouse and the Marshalltown Vermeer Manufacturing Plant in Pella. Heavy rain, damaging winds, and hail were also reported with the storm. Seven people inside the manufacturing plant were taken to the hospital with minor injuries. They've all been released, and that's uh, they were taken to the Pella Regional Health Center. The spokeswoman there, Billy Ramey, confirmed that uh, the injuries were minor. Everyone's been discharged. Everyone's okay there. This manufacturing plant that was hit, they house 2,800 employees. They make agricultural equipment, including hay balers and mowers. Uh, it sustained some damage, but uh, everything, I guess, is going to be okay. Nobody was killed. So that's some good news in all of that. And then one of my friends posted a picture from the Des Moines airport. Somebody was sitting on a plane and took a picture out of the window of the plane of a tornado off in the background. Just, you know. Imagine that you're sitting on a tarmac and of course they don't let you off the plane for anything. When there's a delay at the airport, you know how it is. You sit on that plane forever It does, and the conditions can be brutal. I don't know why that's a policy, why they don't just let you off the plane if there's a delay, but especially if you can just imagine sitting there looking out your window on the plane and there's a tornado coming at you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Apologize for the delay. We should be in the air very shortly. If you look out your right side window, there's an EF3 tornado barreling right at us. So we'll be in the air very soon. Our flight is expected to be about 15 seconds, and then we'll get you to your final destination. And I do mean your final destination very, very soon. Spoiler alert, there is no God. Thank you for flying American Airlines. 
I don't know. I might just go ahead and storm the door and try and get out that way. I think a lot of other people would, too, if a tornado is coming. I don't know. That's a weird policy. Luckily, the longest I've ever had to wait on a plane, on like a jetway, uh, because of a delay was about 45 minutes. But I've heard horror stories from people that, well, we've read them here, where people have had to wait six, seven, eight, nine hours, sometimes in sweltering conditions. Um, and again, I would just, I don't care what the consequences are. I mean, there's going to come a point where you're just going to want to get off the friggin' plane. There's no reason to have you there that long. Um, and sometimes these guys get sued for it, but whatever. If a tornado's coming, I think it's it's a completely different story. There's other weather-related stuff that's going on, too, in North Texas. Uh, the Dallas area set a daily record on Thursday, a high of 108 degrees. And that's putting an incredible strain on the power grid there. Record power consumption. And they've had a few blackouts in, a, in some spots, brownouts. So they're set to break yet another power demand record Friday. And there could even be yet another one today. Wholesale electricity prices reached a three-year high in the area with the value going up to $1,500 a megawatt hour for several hours in the region on Wednesday and Thursday as people blasted their air conditioners. You know what's weird is people tell me uh, in other parts of the country, well, those that have central air, and it's that's another strange phenomenon that goes on. I, I can't believe that there are parts of this country where they don't have central air. That is such a strange concept. And I know I live in the desert, I get it, but it gets hot in other parts of the country, sometimes for a fairly prolonged period of time and to think that there are spots that don't have central air even in parts of the atlantic coast or the midwest where they can easily have days or weeks where it's above 90 degrees how do you not have central air how do you only have window air conditioning units that doesn't make sense but other people that tell me uh that do have central air oh yeah i set my air at 70 or 68 i'm like what Oh, you should do that. Uh, yeah, I should, except for the fact that my AC would literally never stop running. As it is right now, it shuts off for about seven, eight minutes at a time, then it runs for 15 minutes, then it shuts off. And you know, and I keep mine set at 77. If you set your AC to 70 here in Phoenix, you would probably have an $800 electric bill. I mean, as it is, my electric bill here is 250 300 bucks a month, and I keep my air at 77, so I can't imagine... And I've got a separate air conditioning unit in this room. I don't run it during the show because you would, you'd hear this it's a, kind of a loud sound. Uh, so while I'm recording this podcast, it does get a little bit, uh, gets a little bit sweaty in here. Uh, just to let you know how it goes. I mean, even in the winter, it's, it's pleasantly warm in this room. But man, in the, in the summer, it can be oppressive without that AC unit. So uh, I have a separate AC unit and then I got fans all over the place. So it takes a lot of effort to stay cool here. I don't know how other people do it. Now, this next story falls into a running theme that we've been doing on this show for a while, and that is anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. And, and yeah, it doesn't just apply to public figures. Uh, anybody should be mindful of what they write on social media because it can come back to haunt you at your job or whatever. But if you are a public figure, a celebrity, a politician, anything you've ever written do write or will write or say on social media, TV, radio, whatever, in a book, it'll come back to get you eventually. And that's why, let me introduce you now to 
Minnesota Congressman Jason Lewis. He is a Republican from Minnesota's 2nd Congressional District. He was elected back in 2014. Before that, he was a radio talk show host, a nationally syndicated host of the Jason Lewis Show from 2009 to 2014. And he's had quite a few interesting remarks that he's made over the years, some of them uh, pretty outrageous. Uh, Supposedly, he's made some racist remarks. I don't have the audio on those. I'm not saying that he didn't do that, though, but he definitely made some questionable comments about women, some likely misogynistic comments about women. And he has a very interesting thought process about women that get birth control, particularly people that uh, women that dare to vote on the issue of women's reproductive rights or women's health care rights. So this is a little bit of what he had to say back in 2013 about that, which people are just finding out about now. Let's let's listen to this. It's, there's something about young single women where they're behaving like Stepford wives. They walk in lockstep. Is that really the most important thing to a 25-year-old unmarried woman, uh, getting me to pay for her pills? Seriously? And that's what we've been reduced to? You can be bought off for that? Yeah, apparently some women actually want to have health care that includes feminine health care and maybe they want their insurance to cover their birth control i mean why not insurance covers you can get public assistance to cover viagra why not birth control i don't understand i mean boy that's the, all the other issues the hispanic problem so- the hispanic problem social issues class warfare you know we can figure out a way to tackle those this one if you're that far down the road and you say you're a human being, I've got my suspicions. Yeah, he's saying you're not even human, basically, if you are a person that's voting on the issue of getting birth control. Aren't these the same? I mean, I don't know about all of them, but isn't this the same kind of Republican that would say, oh, it's all about personal responsibility and accountability? Well, you have a woman that wants to be responsible and take birth control. And you can just hear the judgment in this guy's voice. He, a woman wants to take birth control, but somehow that's bad. <laughs> that's no, that's not res- that's not responsible at all. You want me to pay for that? Well, it's either that or pay for her baby. Which one do you want, dude? Oh yeah, that's right. You guys won't do that either. That's right. Never mind. Of course, you'd rather not pay for anything. I I okay. I get what you're coming from. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, I, I, I just you're not you're not you're without a brain. You have no you have no cognitive function whatsoever. If that's all it takes to buy you off. Wow. And when you uh, when you say buy you off, I think that applies more than just young women at contraceptives. Well, it does, but they actually focused on that issue to get the women's vote, and it worked. It worked. Yeah, because women actually have issues that not... Listen, not everybody is focused on every issue. There are people that are one or two issue voters. There are people that will go in and literally vote for a candidate based on how they feel about abortion or how they feel about... Um, how they feel about birth control or health care or marijuana or whatever. There are people, not everybody votes for every single issue. I know a lot of single or maybe duo issue kind of people that vote for things. You know, me, I, I kind of go down a checklist, but not everybody has time for that. Not everybody has time to, well, let's see. I, I wonder how Jason Lewis feels about abortion rights, and I wonder how he feels about uh, uh, tax cuts, and I wonder how he feels about education and giving the teachers a raise. I wonder how he feels about that. And people don't have time for that. So some people see a candidate, and it's an issue that's important to them. And he's saying that if, if that's an issue that's important to you, then you're brain dead and you're not even human. 
Well, that's exciting. So that's that is a representative in your second congressional district in Minnesota. Good job to my home state. Yes, I was born in Minnesota. I was there for what a, a couple of days. Uh, I got out of there pretty fast. I still have family there, though. I feel bad that you guys are represented by that guy. <laughs> wow. And here's the thing. Now, somebody poured over thousands of hours of his radio show to find this stuff. And you would think this guy would turn around and try to apologize or maybe just say, well, you know how it is when you're on the radio. You're told to say provocative things. Or maybe he'd use the Alex Jones defense of, oh, I don't believe any of it. That's all just an act for the radio. It was just there to get ratings and just to be outrageous. (laughs) I don't really believe that stuff. I'm just advocating it over a public forum. Uh, I'm just uh, being irresponsible on, on the airwaves. That's cool, though. That's what I was told to do. He didn't do any of that. Actually, he doubled down on it. He says, no, I still feel that way. And he says, he says, no, I think in America, it's great that we can have these kind of debates and that we can have this kind of discussion. No apology, no backtracking, no backpedaling at all. I mean, part of me uh, finds that admirable, but that at least he's not going to try and weasel out and he's going to say, nope, still believe it. Nope, if you're <laughs> you're brain dead, if you want to get the government to pay for birth control, if you if you think you're going to get any sort of women's health care, and if that's the only issue you vote on, then you're an idiot. I mean, I don't agree with it at all, but I'll uh, at least you're not a weasel. You're a scumbag, but you're not a weasel. I'll give you that. You're definitely not a coward. But it gets even better than that. He talks about what do we call people that use contraception, or as he says, a lot of contraception that are in college or young women that use a lot of contraception? Well, he has some interesting thoughts on how to refer to those people. Here we go. You're demanding that the taxpayers pay for your contraception. You must you must use a lot of them, and therefore, ergo, you're very sexually active. And in the old days, what we used to call people who were in college or even graduate school who were sexually active, we called them sluts. What? Huh? What? So someone that's sexually active is a slut? Is that what we're... If you're in graduate school, if you're in college or graduate school and you use uh, contraception, then you're a slut. What if you're with the same guy? What if you're a woman that is in a committed relationship with someone? You're a monogamous woman and you just want to use contraception either because you don't want to get pregnant, which is responsible, or maybe you have like endometriosis or you have some kind of something going on where you have to take contraception. How is that slutty? Like my definition or my understanding of slutty is maybe somebody that sleeps with a lot of guys, that someone that sleeps around has sex with a lot of different, just because you're sexually active doesn't make you a slut. Someone needs to get this guy a dictionary. My God. (laughs) So anyway, let's continue. He says that if you're a woman and you're in college and using birth control, you're sexually active then that makes you a slut. So here we go. Here's more of his uh, his logical reasoning. In college that. or even graduate school who were sexually active, we called them sluts. Especially if you want somebody to pay for it. Oh, now, yeah. You know, obviously that's a stretch. It was meant as an aspect of entertainment radio. No, uh, that's not entertainment. Uh, at least I'm not entertained by it. But are, are, have we really? Have we really got to the point where you can't refer to Madonna as a slut without being sued? 
Well, because in order to refer to somebody as a slut, you have to have evidence. First of all, you have to have a definition of a slut, and then you have to prove that she's a slut. Just because you act like a certain person, just because you act in a sexually provocative way, just because you act like you're a promiscuous person doesn't mean you are. Now, Madonna, who knows? Maybe. Uh, But still, yeah, you can't just call people sluts because you think they are. I mean, let me rephrase. You can call someone a slut. Because you think they're a slut. You can have your opinion. But when it comes to certain terms and certain things that you say, you have to be pretty careful. You can't just go around slandering people. You can't just call people something because you think they're that something. You actually kind of have to have evidence to do that or else you could find yourself facing a lawsuit. Yes, that's actually how the legal system works there, Jason Lewis. Glad that I could give you this educational lesson given that you're a congressman, for God's sake. I mean, Madonna has had a series of lovers, has had many in Hollywood. And in the old days, what did we call this? Madonna dresses up in these sort of a prostitute-like outfits on stage. Yeah. And she goes there and she sings and she shows half of her body. Uh, so does everybody else. So what? It doesn't make you a slut. It doesn't make you not a slut either, but it doesn't make you a slut just because you dress like slutty. What a ridiculous argument. Oh, my. Anyway, continuing with this. Here we go. What did we call those people 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? You can't do that today. It's too politically incorrect. No, you can do it today. You can still call people sluts all you want. You have freedom of speech. Granted, uh, there is a certain limitation. I mean, if you start saying too many besmirching things and if you say something that can be damaging to somebody, yeah, you can get sued. You're not going to go to jail, though. But be that as it may. Yeah. We are losing the language. Oh, yeah. The idea that the the second-ranking Democrat in the federal government's House of Representatives would threaten to censoriously sue Rush Limbaugh or have the students sue him ought to terrify every single American who cares about the First Amendment. A citizen is allowed to sue someone. Just because you have a First Amendment right doesn't mean I don't have the right to sue you over it. It just means that the government can't put you in jail. It means that you cannot be jailed for something that you say. You know, it has to do with your... Do I really have to explain how the First Amendment works to a guy that's now a congressman? And a guy who is still to this day defending these comments? Yes, he made these comments like four or five years ago, but he is still defending them to this day. Yes, you have the right to sue somebody. You may not win, but you can sue, of course. It ought to terrify anyone with the, because of the First Amendment. No, it, it doesn't. If you really didn't do anything wrong, if there are no damages, if you just expressed an opinion about something, like, I think you're an idiot. I think, Jason Lewis, you are a moron. That's what I think of you. I think your opinion is stupid, and I think you're stupid. Guess what? You can't actually sue me for that. That's my opinion. And I'm saying it very clearly that that is my opinion of you. I mean, you can sue me for that. You could actually file a lawsuit against me for that opinion. You're not going to win. It's going to get tossed out, and you'll probably wind up having to pay the court costs for all of that. But you have every right to sue me for it. You can sue anybody for anything in this country. That's what makes America so great. And you know what else makes America great? If you want to call Madonna a slut because that makes you feel better, if that's something that's so important to you that you call her a slut, then you know what? Go ahead. You have every right to do that. Nobody is stopping you. <laughs> but but people are, are outraged by it. Well, fine. Let people be outraged. You can call her a slut. 
It makes you sound petty and stupid. It makes you sound insane that you want to, why can't we just call women sluts anymore that, that use birth control like we used to, like back in the good old days when a Negro used to bring me my paper in the morning? Why can't I do that? Well, I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe because we've evolved as a culture. I don't know, man. You go on, you do you, and you call women whatever you want to call them, and you refer to people however you want. But uh, you might want to at least invest in a thesaurus or a dictionary. Just that way you don't look stupid when you use a word that you clearly don't understand what said word means. Just because somebody takes birth control, that doesn't make them a slut. I know, words, words like people sometimes evolve. I say sometimes because you clearly haven't. Evolution stopped there. Oh, wait, no wonder it stopped. You don't believe in evolution. What the devil is that ghastly noise? The Michael Groff Show. Famous Michael Grav Show on a Saturday, July the 21st, 2018. Groff Show at gmail.com is our email address. Groff Show, gmail.com. That's also our PayPal address for your generous contributions to this program. Again, Groff Show at gmail.com. Michael Groff on Twitter, The Michael Groff Show on Facebook, and for all your other Michael Groff Show needs, you can go to the one, the only MichaelGroff.com where you can listen to this and previous editions of the program. Plus, you can always find us on iTunes and on your Google Play app. You can just go over there, and uh, our podcast is up and available on Google, on iTunes, and even your Amazon device, your Alexa. Just tell Alexa to play The Michael Groff Show on TuneIn Radio, and that should work, theoretically. I don't know, it's like... Some of this stuff works a lot easier than other stuff. We'll see. Uh, somebody just sent me this on Twitter. A suspected burglar trying to break into a house in San Diego found himself in a chokehold when the homeowner's son, an MMA fighter, chased him down. I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know. Burglars getting pretty brazen these days. It's kind of funny. You know, my house, well, right next door to my house, my neighbor just got broken into a couple of weeks ago while I was here. They came in through the back. I might have heard them, but it was like 7 o'clock in the evening. I had the game on. I fell asleep. I woke up about, I don't know, an hour later. And, of course, the neighborhood's a buzz about it. And everyone's talking about it. And, you know, so I get all the details. Now, the good news here is that they got the license plate number and a good description of the people that broke in, even a picture of one of the people that broke in there. So that's that's cool. It just sucks that... You know, it happens like when you're here. Who breaks into a house in Phoenix, Arizona? 
You have to be a crazy person to be a burglar here in Phoenix because you better damn well make sure that nobody's home. Everybody's got a gun in Phoenix. It takes a lot of balls but no brains to break into a house in Phoenix. And speaking of no brains in Phoenix, well, here we go again. Yet another pharmacy that's facing a lot of scrutiny after they denied someone a prescription for uh, some sort of ethical reason. This time, it's a transgender woman that went to a CVS pharmacy here in the Valley, and she wanted to get her prescription for hormone therapy filled, and uh, the pharmacist would not do it. Haida Hall says that she went straight from her doctor's office in April to a CVS pharmacy in the Phoenix suburb, eager to fill her first hormone therapy prescription. The treatment will, of course, accelerate her body's transformation toward the gender that she feels she really is inside. Quote, I was finally going to start seeing my body reflect my gender identity and the woman I've known that I've always been. Her elation quickly turned to anxiety when the pharmacist refused to fill her prescription and humiliated her in front of other customers, she says. So she called the CVS customer service line. No one could satisfy her concern, so she decided to file a complaint with the Arizona Board of Pharmacy on Thursday. This comes just weeks after another incident here in Phoenix where a different pharmacy, a Walgreens, denied a woman medication that was prescribed by her doctor following a miscarriage. The woman had a non-viable fetus inside her. Uh, for those of you pharmacists that would deny her this medication, that means the fetus inside her was dead. It was dead, not alive, understand. So that she either had two options. She could get a surgery to remove the fetus or she could have medication that would get rid of it. And the pharmacist decided to decline her uh, request. Now, the thing about that one was she just went to a different pharmacy. She got her medication filled, but that's not the point. The point is that you, why do we have a law that says it's okay for a pharmacist to decline your medication. It's not up to the pharmacist. The doctor wrote the prescription. It should just be the pharmacist puts the pills in the bottle and that's the end of it. And no offense to you pharmacists out there, but very soon, let's hope, your job is replaced by a robot. An inanimate, non-thinking object that just puts the pills in the bottle, which is what you should be. You don't get to have a conscientious objection to what... I mean, who are you to decide that anyway? Well, I'm a pharmacist. I get to decide. So that means if I'm in the food service industry, if I see a fat person come in, I'm going to go, well, now, I'm afraid I ain't going to give you a beer. You got a big old gut as it is. I'm, I'm going to make you a salad. Yeah, but I, I, I want a burger. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what. You ain't going to get a burger from me. You're going to have to get that from another server. And that's, that's how ridiculous the law is in Phoenix. But we have a law. We have a law that says that a pharmacist is allowed to object. Well, then I'm allowed to object to you having a job. That's what I'm allowed to do. You shouldn't be allowed to have a job. It's just like, remember the, the whole case of, of the woman in Kentucky that wasn't going to issue marriage licenses to gay people. Well, that's not up to you. You're a county clerk. You're not a lawmaker. It doesn't matter. The, you have to follow the law. Now, I know in this state, we have a law that says you're allowed to object. That should not exist. That's ridiculous. You know, it's one thing to have free speech. This is not speech. This is, this is medication. You should just be a trained monkey, put the pills in the bottle, hand the bottle to the person, take their money, and go on about your life. I mean, you can go home and bitch about, I can't believe it today. I had to give a woman an abortion pill. I mean, she had a dead baby inside her, and I wanted her to die from that. 
because that's God's plan. I ain't go, baby, Jesus says that that's, that's the way it should be. Now, another person come in here that was born a man, but she wants to have the pills to become a woman. I just, I just can't believe that. That's just, that's just unnatural, I tell you what. Well, Mr. or Miss Judgy Pharmacist, I don't know why you get to decide that. <sighs> that's, I mean, the law needs to change. Here's the thing, and uh, now the way it's supposed to work, at least according to CVS, they say that their policy, their official policy, is that another pharmacist is required to fill your prescription. What if the other pharmacist that's on duty at the time also objects? Well, I'll get you, Linda, but she's going to object too. I don't, if she wants an abortion pill, yeah, she wants an abortion pill. She ain't going to get no abortion pill from us. That's for sure. Well, I'm going to speak to a manager. All right, I'll get you a manager. Cletus, come on over here. We want the woman that wants to get them one of them abortion pills. Yeah, what can I do for you? Yeah, I want to just get this prescription filled. Let me have a look at that. Let's see here. Mm, said you wants to get you an abortion pill. Well, we ain't gonna like that. It's against God's law here in the CVS. Ain't gonna happen. Sorry, you best be moving it on out of here. See, I told you we're gonna do that. That's unbelievable. This is the 21st fucking century, and we have this kind of crap. Uh, there's a new study out about the effects that the recession had on people from several years ago in terms of alcoholism that was on the rise or is on the rise now. And the effects of that alcoholism, including the rise of liver disease and deaths related to complications of alcoholism. Quote, these are deaths of despair, said lead researcher Dr. Elliot Tapper, an assistant professor of gastroenterology at the University of Michigan. It's similar to overdose deaths from the opioid epidemic. In both cases, people are trying to relieve the emotional pain that they feel, Tapper said. He cautioned, however, that because this is an observational study, it cannot prove cause and effect. Cirrhosis scars the liver and causes uh, diseases that can lead to deadly conditions such as liver cancer and liver failure. The most common causes of cirrhosis are drinking too much over many years, hepatitis C, or a buildup of excess fat in the liver known as fatty liver disease. It's a creative name for that, but at least that's one I can easily understand. Not like gastroenterology. The conditions affecting older people are most likely due to the obesity epidemic. In many cases, liver disease can be prevented by living a healthy lifestyle. Well, of course. If cirrhosis is caught early, the liver can repair itself, Tapper said, and losing weight can reverse the effects of fatty liver disease. Well, of course. And another problem that's facing the country right now is student debt, student loans. And some people are racking up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, just insane amounts of money in student loans. Well, Norwich University is the latest to jump on the bandwagon of a different kind of solution, one in which the university doesn't get its money back until you get a job that pays a certain threshold and then they get a percentage of your paycheck until your debt's paid off. Quote, Norwich University is committed to offering this new way to pay for college in a way that aligns incentives and helps reduce financial barriers to degree completion, said Lauren Wabi, the school's chief financial officer and treasurer. In contrast with traditional loans, where students simply pay down the principal and interest until there's nothing, nothing left, students with the income share agreement pay back a percentage of their salary for a set period of time. So there's more incentive here for both the university and the student to get a good job. And 
unlike traditional loans, it appears that this is interest free. You're not just going to sit there and pay off the interest forever. You know, when you get a $50,000 loan, it's not, we all know it's not just $50,000. It's really going to cost you like $80,000 because of all the interest that's on it over the years. At first, when I read this, I said, eh, I'm not so sure. But now, having seen more about this and having read through it more and seeing more universities take this on, I think this is actually a really smart plan. It incentivizes the university and the student to get a better job. I mean, if you don't get a a decent paying job, the university gets nothing. And of course, you're not getting good money. You're not getting a a well-paying job. So it benefits everybody for more successful students. I think that's great. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the death of Chester Bennington, and it's also Chris Cornell's birthday, born July 20th, 1964. Of course, he's no longer with us either. And with that in mind, it's time for the Song of the Day. The Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Song of the Day. There's so many great songs to choose from when it comes to Chris Cornell or Soundgarden, so it was really hard to pick, or Audio Slave for that matter. But I decided to go with this one. It's one that you don't hear all that often. It still stands up really well. This is from the album Euphoria Morning. And it's Chris Cornell. This is Can't Change Me. It's right here on the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show Song of the Day. What she thinks is wrong What could she want with me? Yeah Wait just one minute here I can see that she's trying to read me She's going to change the world She's going to change the world She's going to change the world But she can't change me No, she can't change me 
Chris Cornell, Can't Change Me from the album Euphoria Morning, an artist that I liked as a teenager, but I never really appreciated how good Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, Audio Slave, all that stuff, never really appreciated how good he was until he was gone. Now I just want to listen to more of that. And I was going to play Long Gone because that's a great song too, but I decided to go with Can't Change Me. It's a little bit more recognizable. You really can't go wrong with Chris Cornell. I suggest just listening to that immediately upon the conclusion of this show, which will be happening very shortly because we only have, well, one more piece of business to get to today. And here it is. Who gives a fuck? It's the news that the media wastes valuable newsprint megabytes and airtime reporting. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? And the only question we're left asking is, who gives a fuck? In our ongoing effort to expand the demographics of this program, I present to you stories that I don't necessarily care about, and many of you in this audience may not give a damn about either, but obviously a lot of people do because they're all over the place, in media outlets everywhere. It's the music news, the entertainment news, all the stuff that many of us would be skimming over, and we put it neatly into this segment right here, and here we go. Jay-Z is having a feud with the mayor of Philadelphia. Yes, it seems that uh, Jay-Z wants to hold his annual Made in America Festival, something that he's been doing on an annual basis since 2012 at the Benjamin Franklin Parkway. And the mayor of Philadelphia says no more because of the increasing costs, he claims. The official confirmation came in a local publication, Billy Penn, which prompted Jay-Z to fire back at Mayor Jim Kenney at the lack of communication. Quote, we are disappointed that the mayor of the city of Philadelphia would evict us from the heart of the city, especially through a media outlet without any meeting, notice, dialogue, or proper communication. Since 2012, Made in America, one of the only minority-run festivals, has had a positive $102.8 million economic impact on Philadelphia, and the festival has paid $3.4 million in rent to the city. Made in America employs more than 1,000 Philadelphians each day, and 85% of our partners are Philadelphia-based companies. Made America has... Made in America has donated $2.9 million to the United Way of Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Now, Kenny has responded more, claiming that a lack of proper communication is to blame for the initial situation. But regardless, they're still not going to have the festival next year. I didn't even know Jay-Z was still making music. I had no idea that he was even still relevant. I had no idea that this was even going on. Who would know that? All right, what else? Oh, if you remember the writer's strike that took place in Hollywood about... Is that about 10, 12 years ago? Something like that? Well, now... Members of SAG-AFTRA have voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike against the television animation industry. The union didn't release the vote total, but said that it was approved by a 98.27% margin of those who cast ballots. Okay. Quote, this vote sends a message that we 
are united and puts our negotiations in the best possible situation. So, there you go. There's a look for a... Now, of course, they say that this doesn't mean that there's going to be a strike. This just means that uh, if conditions become necessary, if the last resort is needed... Then that's what they're going to do. Now, the Animation Guild, IATSE Local 839, meanwhile, is preparing for its own negotiations with the AMPTP. I don't know what all those abbreviations mean. I just know that this could affect some of your favorite animated shows on TV this fall. Uh, The one that I would care about, of course, is Family Guy. How will it affect that? I don't know. And James Gunn. He was due to appear at the San Diego Comic-Con yesterday. And the question would be, was he going to show up? Because he was going to be on the Sony Pictures panel. And there was a horror film and all this stuff that he was going to promote too. But that is not happening because, of course, James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, he's been fired. And why is he fired? Well, stop me if you've heard this one before. You know, like in the last segment and on the last several shows we've done. But it seems that you have to be really careful about what you write on social media. Especially when you write this garbage. Holy crap. So, when you work for Disney, they have a pretty high standard. I think if I was going to apply at a movie studio, if I was going to apply to be any sort of... uh, In any kind of corporate environment, I'd just go ahead and delete my Twitter. Even though I don't think I've written anything all that bad on there. I just... Just to be sure, I'd just go ahead and delete it. Or I'd make it private. That'd probably be the best way to go. Let's see. Here are some of the things that they discovered were written on James Gunn's Twitter. He writes, and I quote, I like when boys touch me in my silly place. Another tweet was, quote, the best thing about being raped is when you're done being raped. And it's like, woo, that feels great. Not being raped. There are others that he made, um, other comments about the 9-11 attacks, AIDS, and the Holocaust. Yet another described a monkey masturbating on a young child, and his commentary was that it makes him extremely happy. Ugh, I think I'm going to be sick. He apparently has quite a fascination or a preoccupation with underage boys. And so... Disney, well, they found out about it and they (laughs) so fired, so fired. Anyway, uh, Disney responded quickly and decisively, quote, the offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values. And we have severed our business relationship with him, said Alan Horn, Walt Disney Studios chairman, in a statement just released. Now, of course, they've never announced that Gunn would officially direct the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but, you know, Gunn is one of those guys that was considered a leading candidate. What a creeper. And obviously, the guy's got a lot of money. I don't know. Why would you write that on Twitter? Even Like, is that funny? Is that a... I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm in a dark humor. Don't get me wrong, but... What's funny about writing that kind of stuff about little boys and masturbating and stuff like that on Twitter? I don't understand. I'm surprised that that didn't get him banned or suspended from Twitter. 
Then again, people write all sorts of crazy stuff up there. It's just Facebook that has a problem. Facebook, you can't write anything. They'll suspend you for anything and everything now. Well, except for posting fake news. You can have that up there. All right. Um, I think we've reached the part of the show where it is time, folks, for a pop quiz. Everybody ready for a pop quiz? Here we go. All right, here's your $100,000 question. Really, this should be the $500 question because it's so easy. But anyway, here it is. Your pop quiz for $100,000. Kimberly Guilfoyle, host of The Five on Fox News, is leaving the network to do what? Join a different network, host Dancing with the Stars, join the Trump campaign... Or have a baby. Kimberly Guilfoyle. Fox News. Think about it. Hmm. Her boyfriend is Donald Trump Jr. Uh Uh-huh. Fox News has certainly sent a few other people over to a certain president's campaign recently. John Bolton, for example. I'm going to go ahead, running out of time here, I'm going to go ahead and lock in my final answer. Join the Trump campaign. Oh, look, I'm right. Man, millionaire would be so much better if the questions were all that easy. Everybody would be a millionaire. I don't understand why she can't stay at Fox News and still have Donald Trump as uh, Donald Trump Jr. as her boyfriend and be a part of the Trump campaign. It's not like they really care about impropriety or ethics or integrity on any one of those parties. So, I don't know. Seems weird. Anyway, Roseanne. Well, man... I'm hearing more from Roseanne now than I did when she was on the air in the 80s and 90s. Roseanne now has an interesting defense, or she's telling her side of the story as to why she went after Valerie Jarrett, the former Obama campaign staffer. Remember, she unleashed that Twitter blast, which got her fired from her show and ABC. Even though the show is going to continue without her, and I'm still fascinated how they're going to do that exactly. But anyway, she's telling her side of the story. I guess she was being recorded by her son, Jake, or whatever. I don't know the whole story, but there was an interview. And Well, this is her justification. Here we go. I thought the bitch was white! God damn it! I thought the bitch was white! <laughs> We did not doctor that audio in any way. That is that is real audio from Roseanne. That is her defense. You can find that on I promise I did not make that up. Once again, why did she go after Valerie Jarrett? Why did she think it was okay? Why wasn't there anything wrong with it? I thought the bitch was white! God damn it! I thought the bitch was white! Alright. So there's Roseanne's justification. I have a feeling. This is just my suspicion, but I think we're going to get a lot of mileage out of that soundbite. Man, that soundbite could work for so many things. I thought the bitch was white. I thought the bitch was white! God damn it! I thought the bitch 
Lazarus, why? Hey, Roseanne, uh, why did you vote for Obama back in 2008? I thought the bitch was white! Okay, okay, settle down. I thought the bitch was white! <laughs> Man, she is off her meds again, isn't she? Oh, boy. All right, uh, we should do another pop quiz, but I don't feel like busting out with the production elements and stuff again. But uh, guess what Ted Nugent is not allowing at his concert, his next concert in Roanoke, Virginia. You know, Ted Nugent, Mr. Pro-Second Amendment, Mr. Pro-Gun. That's right, no guns at the Ted Nugent concert. Sorry, sorry, Ted Nugent fan. When he performs at the Berglund Performing Arts Theater in Roanoke, Virginia, he will not be allowing you to bring your guns in there. You mean I can't bring in my gun to watch me some Ted Nugent? What's America coming to? According to NBC, the news outlet says that the Berglund Center is owned by the city, and as such, it is not allowed to ban guns from being carried into the facility unless... The performer specifically requests it. The contract between Nugent and his promoter regarding open carry was shared with Berglund Center Management right before the performance, according to NBC. Now, they they can't do anything about it. But apparently five minutes before opening the doors, Nugent said, Nah, y'all can't come in here with that. Uh, hey, Ted, there's a lot of guys out there with guns. Don't let them in here. Now, Nugent claims that the agreement says no, but other people say that this is just uh, this is a weird reversal and this is a weird bit of hypocrisy on the part of Ted Nugent. You mean Mr. Mr. Ted Nugent, Mr. Pro Second Amendment says you can't bring guns in? Very weird. And Billy Joel celebrated a major milestone. It was a record-breaking performance on Wednesday night when he celebrated his 100th appearance at Madison Square Garden. And there was a surprise guest. Oh, boy. Yes, Mr. Bruce Springsteen made an appearance, everybody. How exciting is that? Can I just... I'm going to say something that I know is sacrilegious. I know this is like... I am violating all the musical tenets of the world. But is there ever been a bigger, more overrated artist in history than Bruce Springsteen? I mean, I like some of his songs. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's got he's got a few good tunes. I'm not even saying that he's not good. I'm just saying it's it's like people talk about him like he's the greatest musician to ever grace the planet. I'm just a boy from New Jersey. I'm just, I'm just like you. I wear my jean jacket on stage. I'm a lot like you, except I make $150 million. I'm worth more than everybody in here combined. But I'm just like you. Anyway, to celebrate the landmark moment, the pair of icons performed a couple of songs together. And if I know, I, if I know Springsteen, he doesn't perform one of your songs. You have to perform one of his because that's just how it is. Sorry, Billy, your songs are crap. We're going to do Born to Run. Actually, that's exactly what they did. They launched into Born to Run with audience joining in and Joel backing Springsteen on piano. Springsteen brought out his guitar. 
No one has performed at Madison Square Garden as many times as Billy Joel. He launched a monthly residency there as the famed arena in 2014 and recently extended it into 2018. Currently, the venue is offering tickets through December of 2018. Joel also recently had surprise guests Lou Graham from Foreigner and Mick Jones. They did Urgent and Cold as Ice. Well, of course. Yeah, but if I was doing it with Foreigner, they'd do my songs too. A, two, three, four. I'm just like you, my dad. You know, I always tell stories about my father and how he used to treat me. I used to. I used to have to go down and call my girlfriend at the payphone. He always tell these stories that just go on forever. All right, Billy, now we're going to do one of my songs. Santa Claus is coming to town. What about we didn't start the fire? All right, we'll do that. We didn't start the fire. That song's crap. We're going to do my song with fire in it. You can't start a fire without a spark. I'm just like you, Billy. We're just like them. Wear my jean jacket and I tell my long stories on stage between songs. Two, three, four. That impression hurts. I just... Again, I don't hate Bruce Payne. People are going to take the wrong message away from this. I don't hate the guy. I like some of his songs. I'll like when Dancing in the Dark comes on, Born to Run comes on, or any, you know, any of his big hits, Born in the USA. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan, but I listen to them. They're they're all right songs. They're decent. I don't think there's a single Bruce Springsteen song that would be in like my if I made a list of my 500 favorite songs. I don't think any Bruce Springsteen song would make it in there. Hungry Hearts all right. It's all right. Come on. And I see that DC is adding a uh, a new character into the fold in their comics. Yes, a new character is going to join the DC universe in an upcoming comic series in their Injustice comic, which I guess... Um, is like an alternate timeline, if I'm understanding this correctly. Anyway, guess who's coming there? He-Man! Yes. The star of the Masters of the Universe, He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe, joins uh, from the world of Eternia. He comes to Earth to fight against Superman. I don't know. Superman's a bad guy now. At least he is in this alternate timeline. So comic book fans, look for that if you're a big DC guy. I don't know. Right now, it doesn't seem like DC is getting a whole lot of, tr- of uh, traction in the world. So I think they need some big splash. And so that's why they're bringing in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And there's a lot of spoilers in this story, so I'm not going to go ahead and read much more than that. I'll just say that I guess this this Injustice series, like Batman's a good guy and um, I don't know, uh, Superman's evil. They're going to go to Eternia somehow and get He-Man. I don't even know how they know about Eternia, but I guess they find out somehow. And they know about this you know, He-Man. They're going to send some of the resistance, some of the other members of the Justice League over to 
Eternia to help take care of everything there, but I don't know. I have no idea what's going on in comics at all anymore. Um, it kind of, in a way, it sounds interesting. I, I'd almost want to see how they do this, but I, I don't know. I'm not a big alternate timeline person when it comes to this kind of stuff either. But if you're a DC fan, that's something to look out for. <clears throat> and I, I did say I would get to this, and I, I sort of forgot. So luckily, I've before the end of the show here, I remember to do it. Um, somebody left a comment on the website. Let me make sure I address this. Spethan writes in, and he says, "I hate to be the one to tell you, Michael, but you got trolled by Trump, but everyone else did too. So that's okay." And that's the point. The more he presses the liberal anti-Russia buttons, the more insane the left becomes. He knew what he was doing. The MSM, I assume that means the mainstream media. The mainstream media completely exploded as usual. And you also drank the Kool-Aid, my friend. They keep pushing the Russia narrative. And more people will leave the left because they've made the hysteria beyond ludicrous at this point. But I still enjoy your show. I have since 2008 when I used to work nights, so I'll stay loyal. If anything, at least you're way funnier than the mainstream media. So that's from Spethan. Well, first of all, I appreciate you listening since 2008. And even though we disagree on this, it's nice that we can be somewhat civil about it. And I'm not going to get into all the Trump stuff because I just don't feel like it today. But here's what I'll say about it. Now, listen, I'll address it next time or I'll write a comment back to you about it. But let me just say this about your point regarding people leaving the left because they've made the hysteria beyond ludicrous. Well, the data shows, and I mean, just looking at it objectively, and I've seen this in left wing and right wing and just neutral publications, that there are more people registering Democrat than ever before. And the latest numbers show that about 40% of all registered voters in the U.S. are now Democrats. About 29% are independents, 29% Republican. It's actually a little bit, it's like 28 point something percent Republican. And then the rest belong to other parties. So now that doesn't mean anything. Just because there's 40% Democrat doesn't mean they're all going to show up. You know how it is. Young people, they don't vote historically. But there's always the pendulum effect in this country too. You know how it goes. There's always, you know, for a few years, people vote Republican. Then they go, I'm tired of these Republicans. Then they vote in the Democrats. And then a few years later, I'm tired of the Democrats. God forbid anybody ever switch and go to a third party. No, we have to have the same old garbage, the same two flavors of poison, switching back and forth every few years. But anyway, thank you, Spethan, for those comments. We'll get into other stuff later. I've got another email, but I'll save it for next time. Uh, my voice is starting to get a little bit haggard. That's what happens after you record for hours. Anyway, grofshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's grofshow at gmail.com. That's also our PayPal address. Grofshow at gmail.com. Your generous contributions always appreciated over there. Michael Groff on Twitter. The Michael Groff Show on Facebook. For everything else Michael Groff related, you go to michaelgroff.com. And I highly encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google. That really helps us out a lot, too. Please be sure to do that. 
Thank you so much for checking us out. I really do appreciate it. We'll see you next time. I'll be back here in just a few days for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.